0: Halliday is one strike away. The 0-2. A bouncer. Ruiz. In time! Roy
1: Halliday has thrown a no-hitter!
0: The 1-2 pitch. hit toward third. Castro has it. Spins.
1: Fires. A perfect game! Roy Halliday! thrown the second perfect game in Philadelphia Phillies history he faces 27 batters he retires all 27 it's the 20th perfect game in baseball history and the second one this year Good evening, listeners. It's a pleasure to have you aboard for this episode of the Jay's Journal Podcast. You're probably wondering why I'm starting with this unfamiliar format, and truth be told, I felt I needed to say a few words about the recent news concerning Roy Halladay before diving into a pre-recorded latest episode, if you will, of uh, the baseball show. This news has affected me deeply in so many ways, and after spending most of the day going on different radio stations and podcasts and talking about my feelings related to this, I still find myself searching for words and struggling to understand exactly what this legacy is that Halliday has left behind. Roy was an absolutely special player, and during his time with the Toronto Blue Jays, or what I like to refer to as the dark ages of recent millennial fans who started to experience this team, the Toronto Blue Jays were for all intents and purposes irrelevant without Roy Halliday. In much the way that we equate Jose Bautista with the recent regime of the Anthopolis uh, Shapiro era there's no question that during the Ash-Richardi years Roy Halliday was the only marketable reason for you to go and enjoy the Toronto Blue Jays and I know that's obviously a very sweeping statement there were other great players during that time like Vernon Wells and Shannon Stewart and Carlos Delgado but when it comes to Roy Halliday, what he was able to achieve during that stretch of 2003 up until 2009 with the Blue Jays was nothing short of absolutely immaculate pitching and quality baseball. This was a competitor in the fiercest sense, a man who, after struggling to get his game going in the big leagues, ultimately turned himself into what was universally regarded as the best starting pitcher in professional Major League Baseball. And we can't forget that because all the plaudits will come in and all the accolades will be respected for what he did as a player and what he's done as a, as a father and a husband and a human being. But there was certainly something extraordinary about him. I almost feel like he was transported out of time and ended up playing in the 2000s, even though he was probably more destined for being part of that Koufax Gibson mold in the 60s and 70s when pitchers just took the ball and ran with it. And as a fan, you sat back and you watched an absolute wonderment as this artist painted a glorious picture for you on the baseball field. His impact will be felt for a very, very long time. And if you're just someone who's getting into baseball recently or has enjoyed this game for what seems like ages, given how old I am, you'll come to appreciate that we will not see the likes of him again. That player unfortunately is a, a breed that's disappearing very quickly and going extinct in terms of our baseball memories and so that's what makes this tragedy hurt even more the fact that we won't be able to ask him questions and have him regale us with all the aned- anecdotes and stories that comes with being the best pitcher in the game at any given time. For myself I'm filled with deep regret I reached out to Roy on a number of occasions to have him guest on the Jays Journal podcast and I'm fairly convinced that that would have happened sooner rather than later, maybe around Christmas. The fact that I won't be able to do that is profoundly and enormously disappointing to me because of all the players that I enjoyed watching over the years, he was certainly at the top of my list as someone that I would love to have a fireside chat with and get him to talk to my audience and talk about his experience in a way that makes us all appreciate how a truly unique baseball player and human being he was. I'm going to refer to my last tweet that I sent out at the end of last night when I got the news, which was, he was a storybook Blue Jay personified. The best of sportsmanship, class, and discipline wrapped into one. An absolute force in baseball with an indomitable will and the main reason a whole generation tuned in to watch during a largely forgotten era. Roy Halladay will be missed. This episode of Jay's Journal is dedicated to him, and over the next few weeks I'll be having additional guests for us to talk about memories of Roy Halladay in a way that will make you appreciate everything this monumental man was able to do for the game of baseball. Series Baseball Roundtable here on the Jays Journal podcast. Let's quickly introduce this excellent roundtable I've put together. My first guest is a weekly contributor with Sportsnet, one of the most popular social media personalities on all things Blue Jays. Dow Steve is here. How are you this afternoon, good sir?
2: I'm fabulous. Awesome.
1: Uh, the next guest I've got for you covers the Florida State League for Prospects1500.com and is a proud member of the Internet Baseball Writers Association of America. Jason Waddell is here. Jason, good to have you back on the show again.
3: Thanks a lot, Ari. And my final guest
1: is, is new to the show, and is, he's a research associate at the League Institute and a market analyst who calls himself a tragic follower of all Toronto sports teams. Marshall Auerbach joins the Jay's Journal podcast for the very first time. How are you, sir?
0: Ari, good to be with you. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, it's my pleasure. I'm glad that we were finally able to connect and do this. Uh, I respect all three of you enormously, and so I thought it would be great to have an opportunity to ask each of you, now that this is officially the first show post-World Series, it's done, the and Astros have prevailed over the last Los Angeles Dodgers, Look, this was a very unique World Series in so many ways, and the hyperbole on the street with mainstream media is that it perhaps is one of the greatest World Series that we've ever witnessed. I want to start with you, Dal, and let's go around the table. Was this one of the greatest World Series you've ever witnessed, and what are you going to take away from this that maybe the average person didn't notice from what we saw being on display with baseball?
2: I I would certainly uh, put this with... Uh, amongst the very best uh, World Series that I've ever seen um uh you know uh, obvious recency bias and and sleep deprivation caused by uh games running late over the past week um uh you know factored into that but yeah absolutely this is one of the 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 best most uh competitive uh, World Series um and I think really uh, having a, a situation which is almost feels a little bit more like a basketball uh, final, which is where you've got kind of the two best teams in each conference making it through and, and, and you know, it's sort of a, a true test of the, uh, of the best teams in baseball. I think baseball, because it tends to be more of a crapshoot, you do end up sometimes with, you know, a team that you had expected to be there versus a team that, maybe had no business being there mm-hmm. and, uh, and mm-hmm. seeing how that rolls out. But, you know, two, two really strong, compelling, likable teams, um, for sure. So, uh, I, I thought this was uh this was great fun and very intriguing and, and very telling.
3: I thought this was a very compelling world series and I, and I did like that the two best teams made it. Um, but let me preface kind of my opinion on it by saying that, uh, I tend to be a bit of a Clint Eastwood get off my lawn kind of guy. Um, <laughs> and so was it the best World Series ever? Not in my opinion. I I I, I will always go back to the ninety one World Series with the Braves and the Twins.
1: Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Jack
3: Morris. Jack Morris, John Smoltz, game seven. And I think that we're not gonna see performances like that anymore because managers aren't going to allow their pitchers. To get in and and that much trouble and, and work themselves out of jams. Um, I really miss the days of the re, of, of the starting pitchers, you know, going seven eight innings and and having that locked down bullpen. And I as much as I love this series and seeing guys like uh, Correa and Springer on the big stage and Altuve and Bellinger and and Corey Seager and just the the massive amount of young talent that both of these organizations have. Uh, have a, uh, brought up to the uh, to the big league mm-hmm. and, and established. It really kind of bums me out to see a 12-13 game where the bullpens just can't get anybody out. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I felt for that one game, I felt like I was watching slow pitch softball. Um, <laughs> so I really enjoyed it. It was it, I, I, I I enjoyed it more from the aspect of seeing these young guys become what
2: yeah we yeah, thought they sure.
3: could do, and seeing the the realization on both sides of just this untapped potential but i'm I'm a bit concerned when guys like Burlander say the ball's different, and I had to abandon pitches um, mm. that concerns me that concerns me a bit, and I can't rank a series like that you know ahead of something like a game seven where you had. The veteran Morris versus the the young guy Smoltz and they both throw zeros. So that's just me. I'm but get off my lawn while you're at it, Ari. Yeah,
1: and it was that series, correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, that compelled um, Gillick and Beeston to basically go after the Jack Morris Holy Grail. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't get any better than 10 shutout innings.
3: And while uh, I would while I would go along with that. I just don't think starting pitchers are geared to go 10 innings, um, and, and it's not that I want to see necessarily see that, but the amount of base runners that Jack Morris was allowed to strand in that game. It's not like he was n- nailing down one, two, three innings. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um,
3: but if Jack Morris was a pitcher in today's game, he'd have been out after two, out after three. We wouldn't have those iconic uh, performances on the mound, and I and I kind of feel, in some ways, a little bit cheated um, out of that as a baseball fan in 2017. That we're probably never going to see an instance like that again.
0: Funnily enough, I, I thought of the 1991 series as well uh, as one of the best ones. Um, this one was an interesting sort of mirror image of, of last year's, because everyone talked about last year's being great. Uh, World Series. It was only great because, you know, you had two long suffering franchises and the, and the Cubs finally broke through. But actually, there was only one really great game, uh, and that was game seven last year. The other ones were pretty one sided. Um, this was kind of the opposite. You had great games one through six. Um game seven is was a bit of a damp squib, and um you know so it was it was disappointing in that regard but I'll throw out another one that I think is even better than, than ninety one um which I'm showing my age a little bit here, but I think that the seventy two series between Oakland and Cincinnati, which were also the two best teams that year seven seven games. Every game except Game 6 was a one-run game, and, um, and you also had fantastic uh, NLCS and ALCS uh, playoffs in that year. So it's, it, it might very well be the, the best postseason of all time, 1972.
3: That's about seven years before my time, but you know anything with the big red machine and that Oakland dynasty has got to be good, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, too,
3: <laughs>
0: all the, the colorful uh, A's of uh, Char, uh, Charlie Finley and, uh, and of course, Sparky Anderson's uh, big red machine. Yeah, no, it was a, it. Was a great series, and uh, um, and they were all pitching, uh, uh, as you say, that you know, that they didn't use. Uh, you had relief pitchers going, um, closers going three innings in those days as well, which is again never going to happen again.
1: I should tell you all that, uh, candidly speaking, I've received my last six months of uh, demographic analytics from Block Talk Radio. And my average audience, 51% of my audience, is between the age of 55 to 64. I bet I bet you didn't think that was the case. But it's a testament to the love that fans have of this game, that we have all sorts of appeal in terms of our audience. So you want to reference 72, 83. I'm very close to referencing George Bell myself at some point in the show. People have to deal with knowing their history. And I felt that this World Series had so many extraordinary moments that... It was almost like watching a pro wrestling version of baseball in some ways we had it all we had the controversy we had a proposal at the end of the world series with Carlos Correa we had George Springer going off with beast mode numbers I mean five home runs I think after he struck up four times in the opening game Uh, a player I might add I think Dow is smiling because I think it was what Dow the 2011 amateur draft I think that they wanted him and they ended up getting BB instead but you know long story short there were a lot of interesting stories, but the one that I still can't understand is how Brandon Morrow, you know, Brandon Morrow, the injury-prone Brandon Morrow, made 14 appearances during these playoffs, and I'm referencing an article by Clayton Richie in Jay's Journal called "World Series Takeaway." Um, Marshall, help me understand: Did Dave Roberts go insane in his handling of Brandon Morrow, or was what was going on? Because
0: nobody look. Him. I, I don't think he, he he had much of a choice. Uh, um, certainly, when you got a, a starting pitcher like uh, Hugh Darvish, who I think finished with an ERA of 21, um, but he uh, it's surprising um, he, he actually um tied the all time record I think with Darryl Knowles in seventy three. Again I'm showing my age a little bit here, but um uh he who he, he was the last guy to pitch all seven games of a World Series and Brandon Morrow tied that which is which is quite remarkable given um as Dowell probably knows as a long time follower of the Jays but that you know he the guy was pretty fragile when at his time in Toronto. Mm-hmm. So um I, I think you gotta give Roberts a lot of credit because of the way he used him all year. Um, he was he's always had superb stuff. And, you know, so I was very happy for Brandon uh, that he, he he was able to pitch so well. But, you know, it, 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 clearly he didn't have the makeup to be a, a starting pitcher because he, he broke down so often. So um, full marks for Roberts. But I don't think he had a choice. I mean, you know, the, the, the bullpen was, was pretty well gassed by, on, on both sides, uh, and particularly more so Houston, I think, than even um, uh, was the case in Los Angeles. I
3: think that starting pitchers that, that failed, whether it be injury or or uh, you know, just the inability to get outs that have the type of stuff that Brandon Morrow has are suited for these types of games in the playoffs. Um, Morrow is, is a really good addition to any bullpen uh, throughout the regular season, but in the playoffs, the fragility that he showed as a starter does not translate uh, in short bursts. Um, and mm-hmm. with him, it was always the course of, can we get to 150 innings? Um, but the guy has the the overall stamina to be a starting pitcher, and when you add in his ace type stuff in short bursts, I mean, I can't blame Roberts for really going to him because he didn't have a choice. But if you got to go to anybody, I want to go go to a guy that is is was built and bred to start, and not the guy who's been a relief pitcher his entire career in the minor leaguers because in the minor leagues because those guys do not have the stamina, and I don't really think that they have the makeup to take the ball every day like that without incurring serious injury to their arm. And I think that's the biggest difference between Moro, especially with the days off. You know, he really only had to go two games day off, three games day off, two more games. Um, so, I mean, kudos to Robert for using the guy. I mean, he didn't really have a choice, though. Yeah, it's
2: interesting, though. I mean, we're, we're we're talking about Brandon Morrow and sort of in some ways praising his performance. He still walked away with an eight point four four ERA out of that World Series, and so five uh, earned runs in in five and a third innings. So it didn't um, necessarily go according to plan. And, and and some of this, I think, it's interesting. I really enjoyed the, the different strategic approach to the World Series. I like the fact that that managers will pull a a pitcher after two times through the order that doesn't that doesn't bother me at all i like seeing starting pitchers get up in the bullpen towards the end of a seven game series but one of the real key takeaways for me uh from this world series is that those three middle games where you don't have the days off uh, those are the ones that you have to be aware that suddenly your managing has to go a little bit back towards what you would do in the in the regular season as opposed to the playoffs because you do have by the time that dave Roberts hit uh game five of the series um, he was reaching a point where he was really uh was really burning out his bullpen and uh you know i i'm trying to remember off the top of my head whether or not if game five was the one where he pulled um well he pulled his pitcher early in just just about every game but um but that one was the one where um i guess it was kershaw that came out early in game five um but uh, but in any case, I, I just the way that he had been managing over those uh, those couple of days led to, I think, part of what happened in Game Five, and then inevitably what uh, I think sort of brought him down at the end.
3: Game Five was the game that uh, Kershaw came out early. He didn't use Maeda for extended, and that was for an extended appearance. And that was the game that Morrow came in and gave up the four runs without recording an out. So outside of that game, the other six games he was nails, but
0: and that's when he was gassed, I think as well.
3: Yeah. To your point, that was the third game in a row in Houston, and so managing the bullpen that way, the entire bullpen just looked like they were, they were, they were done. But to your point, that's about managing in those in in those three games that are all back to back to back. You can see how it backfired on Roberts because. You know, he had burned them out in games uh, three and four. Yeah, it was,
2: and it was kind of. Uh, I mean, I don't think that we've really seen managers manage this aggressively, whether if it be in the in the playoffs or in in the regular season. Really, at any time, in in, in at least in my memory, and uh, and it is interesting to kind of see what uh, some of the problems that arise. So, for instance um last night uh last night or the the night before uh you know you ended up with a situation where going to the bullpen early uh means that you're burning a pinch hitter early and uh, in the uh national league park so you know there there are there are things that I think we're starting to see uh put into practice during a re- uh during game action and being able to kind of see practically speaking how they play out and and maybe being able to to put the value of, okay, maybe you don't want to necessarily leave the pitcher in for a third time through uh, the lineup, but can you get him maybe two and a half times through if it means that you don't have to uh, burn a bat uh, early on in in a game and and in a situation where you might not have a, a long bench?
0: Don't, don't you think Terry Francona did manage a little bit like this last year? I thought he sort of established templates in the way he used Andrew Miller. Oh,
2: absolutely. yeah, no, I, absolutely, yeah, and and I think I, I think that 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 uh, has helped to to set the stage for for this year for sure, and mm-hmm. and I'm sure that next year uh, we'll see even more of that, and you know, a, as well as I think the the way that uh, the wildcard games are managed, and again, I think that's that's a hoot. I think. You know, uh, that's uh, that's fun to me to see Clayton Kershaw or Madison Bumgarner or, you know, whoever, uh, um, uh, Max Scherzer, you know, getting up in relief appearances. And even if it doesn't work, it's still fun to see.
3: But I like it in elimination games, but I'm not a big fan of it uh, in general with with the guys coming in. I mean, what Bumgarner did a couple years ago was, was pretty amazing. Um But, in his own starts, he was able to last a lot longer as well. So it just seems to me like the starting pitching is is really letting a lot of these managers down and they're forcing them to go to the bullpen um, so early. and it, it's kind even of even Kershaw because the start, yeah, the starting pitchers get paid so much, and it's like if if I'm rooting for a team and we're giving a guy two hundred million dollars. I know yeah. it's a big stage, but I kind of want to see you at least get through seven innings, you know. But the the Dodgers, they didn't have that with uh, with Darvish or Kershaw after game one. So
0: yeah, Darvish has probably cost himself a fair bit of money in the free agency, I would think, after uh, uh, the way he performed in the World Series.
3: Oh, no I question. think the Blue no Jays should still give him a big, a big, huge contract, though.
1: <laughs> That's you know,
3: I'll I think you, the Blue Jays should overpay a little bit
1: that's a great segue because we've got an article on, on the Jay's journal website written by one of the site experts, Chris Henderson, which he called keep an eye on falling Darvish stock. I mean, it was a disastrous world series. I think Jeff Passan wrote uh, on Twitter that the Houston Astros, he was their choice for MVP of the world series, because let's face it, his inability to find redemption after that first start is effectively what cost them their world series championship. You know, you can, you can almost argue that if, if um, somebody like a David Price, as, uh, I mean, Justin Verlander has found himself as that mercenary who, who was able to contribute significantly down the stretch and win a championship. David Price tried to do the same thing. It didn't quite work out. But in the case of you Darvish, he's going to be available. And so, Jason, are you saying that the Jays definitely have to go out of their way and, and try to get this guy knowing that he's, what, 31 years old and has a career three and a half ERA, second in cyan voting, I think, back in 2013?
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I th- I've, I, as I've said to you, you know, from day one, that the Jays' the success is going to be in 2018 built around the starting rotation. And I like Darvish at the top behind Stroman in that rotation. And starting pitching is going to cost you. Darvish, yet yeah, has his stock dropped today? Yeah, it feels like it has today. But when it comes down to a team trying to assemble a roster for 2018 – are there better options out there on the free agent market than Darvish over the mm-hmm. course of 162 games? Other than the Tommy John, he's been pretty durable. And uh, he's a, he keeps the ball down. He misses bats. These are the things that I want out of a guy in the Rogers Center.
0: I guess you have and to exclude course- Shohei Otani and- from that.
3: Well, I, what are yeah. we going to get out of him? Kind of an unknown, you know, and, and – um, how much is he going to cost? Is there going to be? I mean, he's an intriguing prospect because he's going to come over at a time where he's not going to be a legit free agent and he's going to have to sign under the bonus pools
0: mm-hmm.
3: and take the. And so when he's on the major league roster, it's going to be at the league minimum, um, at least that first year. And so, what sort of backroom deals are teams going to have to work out with him? And are they going to get in trouble for that, much like the Braves are about to get stung? So it makes, it makes the crackdown on Atlanta and their international signing under the bonus pool structure, it makes that a lot more intriguing with Otani because is there going to be a lot of scrutiny with his deal because he's potentially leaving $150 million on the table by coming over now?
0: But that makes him a more interesting uh, prospect for the Jays, who usually have not paid top dollar for free agents. Uh, of course, that also is the case for 23, 24 other teams. But um, he, 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 you know, the the, the the problem with most free agency acquisitions is that you know you buy them. You know, there's this expression: you know, past performance is no guarantee of future performance. And and the problem you get with any free agent, not just pitchers, but I guess in general, is you're getting these guys past their prime or at the Downslope of their careers in a lot of cases, and you're pay, you're paying on the basis of what they did beforehand. So here you're getting a guy who um, is just getting into his prime, and you're not even going to have to pay top dollar for it. Um, it's it's a it is really a unique situation.
3: Well, I feel like every team that can, and and a lot of teams are excluded from even being able to bid on him. Um, the Jays are not one of them. I feel like every team that team that can is going to be all in on Otani. And I'd like to think that, and maybe I'm reading into this more than, than is ever there, but I'd like to think that having a guy like Darvish on the team would be appealing to a guy like Otani as, as a countryman. You know, coming over and having someone like that already on the team. I don't think well, that the Dodgers he... can go after him. Uh, The Yankees told... and the Red Sox can't. I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: I was just going to say, Ka- Munenori Kawasaki is already putting a plug for the uh, the Jays on, on his behalf. So oh that's, boy. <laughs> boy. that's That
3: name
1: just never disappears from the Toronto,
0: Kawasaki. <laughs> I don't know. Now, how
1: do you feel about all this? Would you, Knowing that there's also a poetic irony, right? I mean, Darvish was someone that Anthopolis and the organization tried to outbid, and we now know that they fell woefully short. Remember there was a time down where it seemed like they were going to make a legit bid, and then we found out it was nowhere near why would we believe they'd go after him now? Uh
2: well, I mean uh, and, and I think that's probably why it is that Blue Jays fans are talking about Darvish is just that mm-hmm. sort of a sense of well, what could have been and and uh, seeing the fact that he did have a couple of good seasons, but you know, this this past year he boasted his highest DRA of his uh of his uh North American career. Um uh, you know, he's he's going to be turning 31 next year. He's probably not going to come looking for, you know, a pillow contract or something to get him over. I mean, he'll be looking for five or maybe six years or what have you. And I, I, just, I, I think in terms of what are the Blue Jays going to be spending their 2019 and 2020 and 2021 dollars on, uh, I'm not sure that uh, I'm not sure that that Darvish is the bet that I would make, especially since at some point uh, there's going to have to be money for Marcus Stroman. There's uh, hopefully there's going to be a reason to need to carve off money for for Aaron Sanchez. Um, you know, I think uh, there, there's a real core of a, a good rotation uh, here in Toronto already, and and uh, I think that uh, the Blue Jays may be well served. Uh, taking a look elsewhere as opposed to uh, to Darvish in order to to fill the rotation spot, but I, I, I still do think that they need a someone in the rotation. But if there's someone along the lines of a Charlie Morton who you know was was available and could come in as a five and pitch like a two, um, that would be a, a great uh, scenario. But maybe that's what we've always sort of been seeking are the guys who uh, who have upside.
3: I feel like real I, I, quick, I feel like the Jays need to get a need to need to target a, a starting pitcher that can that can pitch like a 2 and is a 2 just in case Sanchez
0: can't mm-hmm. get on the mound. Yeah, I think that's why I would look at someone like Alex Cobb, but you know, one of the things that was clear this year was that the team um you know, you do need depth, six, seven, and started six, seven, and eight. I'm I'm not convinced that Biagini is the guy for the fifth starter position. I think he's a, a, you know he's a good he'd be good as a long relief man, but I'm now wondering whether um, you know they want to take another crack at uh, Francisco Liriano. He didn't play that much for Houston. probably wasn't used properly. Um, he seems to do very well when Russell Martin is catching him, and I suspect he could be uh, acquired pretty cheaply in the off season.
3: I like your suggestion on Alex Cobb. And I would try and bring Liriano back, too, on a $1 million to maybe... two million the World Series more. champion,
1: Francisco Liriano. Are we talking about the yeah. same player? Just want to be clear. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing where a baseball journey can take a player who starts as an afterthought and gets released by his team, or, or rather, excuse me, traded away. I mean, they got rid of him. It was decided he wouldn't, he wouldn't cut it continuing his major league career, and now he's sitting at home thinking he's the luckiest baseball player on the planet.
3: It pays to be left-handed.
1: Now, I'm curious about this now that the World Series is over, and um, it's depressing. Uh, No more baseball at this level. But one thing I am noticing, I'm going to ask you this first, Marshall, is a lot of fantastic, dusty old marketing material being fed to our television screens, which normally I wouldn't complain. Who doesn't like watching Joe Carter's walk-off, home run? Who doesn't like watching the heroics of Roberto Alomar and Ed Sprague, which were key to building credibility that you could win in the playoffs, knowing that there is this new audience that has embraced this team, is it doing the organization a disservice by reliving these glory years over and over again, knowing that aside from the last two years before this, we went through basically a generational stretch of some of the worst baseball you could ever hope for?
0: Yeah, and that, that's the, that's the real risk, as you say. I mean, it's it's great to celebrate your history, but um, when you've got to go back all the way back to ninety two, ninety three, um, it reminds people that you, know, as you say, there was this twenty year period. And I think a lot of the uh, uh, the current fan base, uh, just judging from the comments I see on Sportsnet and the like, is, is still very very skeptical. Mm-hmm. Um, that that mark shapiro 's team is 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 prepared to uh, put full resource into creating a sustained um, and a- excellent ball club i 'm not sure I share that i mean i, I don 't think that they will necessarily you know ever spend like the Yankees or the dodgers but um uh, and 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 frankly, even if they were Cleveland North, I, I, as I always say to people, look, have you seen what Cleveland's been doing recently? But but um, look, I, I I do think that they you have to spend the money wisely. Uh, they've been saddled with some pretty tough contracts with Tudawitzki and, and and Martin. But I, I I have faith that they will actually uh, um, do that. Uh, they they they're as being in a position where they are going to create some sort of sustainable um, um, uh, 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 structure. Going forward, and I think they deserve the benefit of the doubt. And, um, but I'm not really all into this 1992-93 nostalgia. I I mean, I still look fondly at the bat flip of 2015, but um, I'm frustrated that they didn't get any further. I want them to get back to the World Series.
3: They're kind of the marketing department seems to be in in a bit of a catch-22. You know, uh, you can't market around the minor leagues because that's Completely unfair to guys like Vlad Jr. and Bo, who everyone's excited mm-hmm. about. You can't put those on it and say these guys are coming. That's, I mean, that's way too much pressure on those guys. Uh, if if Joey Bats is is indeed gone, you can't include him other than like the highlights and the, and the glory days and stuff like that. You know, but you got to go to a time, you know, when fans felt pretty good. But how many Blue Jays fans are around? You know, I mean, there's a there's a whole generation. What I mean by that is there's a whole generation of Blue Jays fans that weren't around in '92. Um, so how do you market it to the to that younger to that younger crowd, the 20 year olds, the you know the, the 18 to 20 year olds, the teenagers, the young kids?
1: But let me let me be a devil's advocate here, and and I want to know how you feel about this, Dow. When was the last time Keith Law came out and said to our organization that they have the number one player in baseball, and then after seeing Bo Bichette? being given the accolades he picked up last week is it really a risk to be marketing these young players to millennials in anticipation of of what's to come isn't isn't that an effective strategy knowing that it might work better rather than going rehashing the past to people who weren't even alive when it
0: happened
2: well i mean uh, i guess there's a couple of questions in there uh you know one is Uh, what is it that we should be hanging our hopes on? And the other is how should they be selling tickets? And, you know, I I, I think that fans, uh, I've heard fans complain about the marketing of the Blue Jays for every different reason from, you know, uh, they overhyped the team, uh, they you know, which I've, of course they did. It's, It's marketing. You're trying to sell products. So, but people say, Oh, they they overhyped this team or they're selling the past or they're they're selling future hope or whatever. So anyways, everyone everyone hates marketing except for the marketing that apparently works on them. Um in, in terms of uh what the next great Blue Jays team is gonna be though, I, I mean, seeing the two teams that we just saw in the field, I think that Blue Jays fans really do have to hope that you have uh transcendent um all star type players in Bo Bichette and Vladdy Jr. uh at the core of what that next team is about. So I mean I think that uh, that uh it, they, they those guys are gonna have to uh actually get um to Toronto before the team can realistically start to to sell them. Uh but uh but ultimately i think that is the direction that we do have to start looking and 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 uh you know it, it was a couple of great um seasons or you know a couple of great opportunities to get back to the playoffs to kind of change the channel on the perpetual uh loser tag that i think that a lot of people had Placed on the franchise. Now it's time to to look forward and to to look at a really different team that's going to be the next great Blue Jays team. But from
0: the pro- perspective of marketing, I would say in many respects the uh, victory of the Houston Astros actually helps the Jays more than say had the Dodgers won because. The Astros have done it, you know, the 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 right way, the way that Shapiro always talks about doing it. You know, but you scout, you draft and develop, uh, you and then maybe near the end you get a, you know, a, a free agent or a, a late season trade trade deadline pickup. The Dodgers really have been much more of um, let's use our balance sheet, buy as many expensive players as possible. I mean, like there's no way that Toronto will ever would ever give a contract to, a, to a, you know, a, an Aaron Sanchez or Marcus storm that was given to Clayton Kershaw, nothing close to that. Um, and, and it's worth noting that the, the Astros actually had a payroll that was I think $10 million lower than the Jays this year. So you know there's a lot of things that you could use there and say, look, if it's done right like Houston shows you can win a World Series, you don't have to be the highest spending club to win a World Series which would have been the case had the Dodgers won.
3: That's a good point. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you actually individually market the guys that are coming, but I think once they're definitely there... That's when you would start. And, and, and I would definitely relay to fans that, hey, you want a George Springer on your team, you want an Altuve, you want a Bellinger, you want a Seager. We potentially have some of those guys coming. But just like the Houston Astros, Keuchel, Altuve, Springer, they were all on the team in 2014 when they were horrible. And SI crowned them 2017 champions back then. I think the biggest difference is they were actually... Major league players on a terrible team versus, hey, look at these minor leaguers that we have that are simply just minor leaguers. No matter the accolades that they're receiving.
0: That said, I would say that those two, the two that people talk about the most, Vladdy Jr. and uh, and Beau Bichette. Given the uni- their unique circumstances, their parents, both their dads, both played in major leagues. They've been around the game a long time. I suspect they probably could handle the pressure and the marketing better than most um, mm. simply because they've grown up around this environment. But again, I, I would I would second the view uh, of, of you you guys that you don't want to spend too much time um, putting pressure on them on Julie. But certainly, they're, they're, they're unique prospects in that regard. They have it in their genes already.
3: I would love for them to be marketed at whatever level they're playing at. I can't tell you how many times I went to Dunedin and the stadium had fifty, maybe 50 people in it. Wow. And maybe that's just mm. a byproduct of... Maybe that's, and probably that's just a byproduct of the Florida State League. Florida State League does not typically draw because there's so much other stuff to do on the coast of Florida. But, uh, I mean, if these guys end up in New Hampshire, they definitely need to be marketed so that people come see them. I can't tell you how many times I would sit in the stands and hear people say, "Is that guy related to Craig Biggio? Is this player, is this player related to that Bichette guy from the Rockies?" And, uh, you, you know, just don't know. With that being said, at least on the social media sites, it seems like Blue Jays fans are well aware of these two guys and, and know everything about them and, and, and what's coming and can't wait and a lot of debate on when those guys would be there and whatnot. So the fans, I think the real Blue Jays fans, they know. They know they're coming. They're patiently waiting.
2: 50 fans. That's the entire summertime population of Dunedin, isn't it? <laughs> it's about, yeah,
3: yeah. And 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 most of those guys were retired of the 50 that were in there. So yeah. You know, Always I, good I, if, they, if they if they start back in the Florida State League. Don't you can just just get down here. You'll be able to see them up close and personal with nobody bothering you. You know, no big crowd.
1: It is interesting, though, Jason, isn't it? I mean, we we know that with the changing, with the passing of time and, and changing generations, how a fan embraces this game can dictate their outlook for, for decades, if not their entire life. And as someone, you know, who grew up in the 80s and had a chance to witness some pretty, pretty frustrating moments in in blue jays history i mean devastating moments i'm sorry but you know being a 13 year old and watching Gorge weekly ground out to third base to blow what was a three and a half game lead with one week of baseball left to play you know those are these those are things that if they had transpired today would probably lead to some serious serious like public emergencies from from suffering fans it's it's a it's such a powerful form of escapism today is what i'm saying And one of the things that I regret when I have these roundtables, and I've done many of them, is this conversation that starts where we just accept the notion that the team won't spend or shouldn't spend, which is, don't you think, Marshall, that's absolutely bizarre considering that they had the best attendance and are the fourth largest market? Why shouldn't they spend? Why shouldn't they, in the same way that they say they wish to rebuild and contend, that they develop and invest?
0: Yeah, I don't really understand that i mean i i i mean the argument is that it's not uh, it's not a real baseball town that seems to be implicit in the argument that they, they they always say well if it's a lease of course you can put any kind of crap that you want on the ice mm-hmm. and they're still going to show out um I, I, whereas in, if it's if they don't have i'm not sure that in the case of toronto that uh, they need to be good all the time for people to come out. Uh, my sense, and again, you, uh, I'll be interested in what Jason and Dal say about this as well. But my sense is that what really killed the the, the franchise was the cynical indifference for 20 years. It wasn't it, they they didn't even pretend to try, and there didn't seem to be any kind of effort at developing. It was just like this was an a, a, an unwanted asset that had been acquired by a Belgian brewing group that knew nothing about baseball. Um, and 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 again, I think Ted Rogers, when he finally acquired it, uh, d- didn't actually fully appreciate what kind of a jewel he had until they started. You know, they, the, the 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 team started winning, and then he started realizing what a cash cow it could potentially be. But but I think that's what it really was. I think indifference. Um, uh, and, and the fact that you just were mired in mediocrity perpetually was was the real problem, and that's what what I think ultimately um, killed uh, fans' enthusiasm. I think if you you can still build up, even if um, two thousand and eighteen didn't turn out to be a, a great year, they may not draw three million fans. But if you actually could show that you're moving in an intelligent direction with a with a, a good sensible plan then I think you could really still keep uh, people enthusiastic. So in that regard, I think what, what, what um, Shapiro and Atkins and the others do in, in this off season is very, very important because I think this is the first year where they'll really define the vision they have for the club going forward in the next uh, three to five years.
3: It seems to me that every team that is sold um, increases in value, uh, even the Marlins. And so... When it comes down to should a team spend, shouldn't they spend, I don't think that market matters. Um, And with Toronto being the fourth largest market and and consistently selling out the Rogers Center, uh, they certainly have the means to keep their players. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I would like to see more with teams than trading them at at, uh, arbitration. Oakland and Tampa prime examples, it's almost as if they want to hold their cities hostage to get a new stadium by trading off any one of value and just continually stockpiling a farm system. Stu Sternberger, the owner, is still a billionaire. If he were to take the Mike Illich approach of I'm just going to spend when I need it, money be damned, attendance be damned, um, I don't care about the balance sheet, he could do that. A lot of these owners, though, they don't view it that way. And so it's imperative, then, if you are going to spend money, to spend it wisely. Um, and that means keeping a guy like Stroman if you want to invest in in a deal now before he hits free agency. Uh, you know, keeping the young players when they come up and then having the financial flexibility to then, as the Astros did, go out and add a Brian McCann when no one wanted this guy because of his 18 million dollar salary um, you know being able to add a verlander at the trade deadline uh, having the financial flexibility to to sign some of their younger players to long-term deals when they hit arbitration. And, you know, Houston's going to be able to do all of that. And I think Toronto can, too. I don't think they should go into a full rebuild, but I also don't think that they should necessarily throw $200 million on a Band-Aid.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. I, I, I think that um, the key now, I, I think the way you manage your, your – there's not a salary cap, obviously, in baseball, but I, there's obviously a budget. And I think the key now is that if you can – you 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 take your young and controllable players, and I think you give them a longer term deal, which is what Shapiro did in Cleveland with a lot of them, and and effectively buy pay a premium to buy out a few of the free agency years, and, and you'll get them at the during their their peak earning years. I, don't, I I don't think you want to go too aggressively in the free agent route. I think that's been shown over a long period of time not to work. Um, you know, having for imagine what could have happened if the if the Jays had actually uh, acceded to Jose Bautista's uh, salary demands back in 2015, mm-hmm. I mean, um, and or you know you look at the the Angels with Albert Pujols, I mean, you know you and and then I, I so I, which is an interesting issue as it relates to Josh Donaldson in terms of what you do with him because um, I'm not really I, I go back and forth on this. I love seeing him in a Blue Jays uniform, but you know, do you want to pay him another, for another five or six years, and what's he going to be like at 37, 38 if you do so,
2: Donaldson? Donaldson, I. I think um, it, it, it is a really fascinating question. I think people keep kind of falling on either side of the the equation, and you know, uh, I, I think um, maybe my my heart wants them uh, to go ahead and sign them, and and my head sort of uh, sets off warning bells on that. But you know, I mean, ultimately, the you you build around a core that you draft and develop, and and I think then try and. Uh, Add veterans and and sometimes the right veterans who are going to come in there and 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 help prop the team up and you know like a guy like Josh Reddick uh, had a terrible playoffs a terrible World Series but you know through the run of the season is kind of a, 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 a reputedly a good clubhouse guy and and a good sort of character guy and maybe you could get the output that he that he provides uh, for. Far less, you know. I mean, he. I don't know what the difference in production between Josh Reddick and Ezekiel Carrera is, and I'm guessing that it's actually not that huge. But, you know, if you've got a team full of young players and you're legitimately a a contender, what sort of player do you actually want uh, to slot in there and, and, and to help guide the players through to the next level? So, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, where possible, I would like to see the Blue Jays um stick to a plan and and uh and really kind of uh covet the the core of the of the team and and keep that together and then you know uh add on uh, add on veterans that can be even expensive but who you're not depending on to be the linchpin
3: of your success would you guys give josh donaldson five years 150 million is that a reasonable? Is that a reasonable offer from a Blue
0: Jays fans' perspective? That's a reasonable offer. I bet they don't make that offer, but I, that's that's a reasonable offer. But bear in mind that you know you you'll be you know, maybe the it's not going to look so great at thirty seven thirty eight, uh, especially if you got Vladdy ready to play. I mean, I, you know, I, all, all those people that were enthusiastic when they signed Russell Martin or uh, when they got Troy Tulowitzky are now saying, "God, look at these contracts," and they go to. 2019, 2020. Uh, that said, I, I think I probably would sign him because I think he's one of those unique players. And I think he is one of the, as doubt said, he's one of these great character guys that is going to be, you know, the face of your, is a great person to be the face of your franchise going forward. And does, and I think, um, probably would look after himself sufficiently that he probably could be one of those, uh, anomalies that would actually, uh, be worth paying the money to it. It would send a very positive signal to the fans. So, um, I would do it, but that—that's what it's going to cost them. I don't think they will. I personally think that they're going to, you know, to go to the go to the arbitration route, give them his twenty or twenty-five million, probably, and and then they'll uh, they'll keep him for the year or trade him at mid-season if it turns out to be a year like this year.
1: And of course, they did that with Marcus Stroman over half a million dollars, Jason, which is why I'm having a hard time
0: digesting.
1: I mean, I get it. We're talking about the value of foresight and planning, and that would be really nice because many years associated with Gordash and J.P. Ricciardi were just throwing years out the window. No plan. You'd show up for one baseball season and you see B.J. Ryan signed. You'd show up for another and the best pitcher in baseball gets traded. There have been a lot of ups and downs where you just scratch your head and you're left wondering, was there a plan? Anthopolis, to his credit, we can agree, had a plan. I think it was a five-year plan, and it was one of those plans that didn't work until right at the end when he decided to go all in and gamble. We know that Shapiro is the exact opposite. He doesn't gamble. He's methodical. He's fastidious. He believes in the idea of gradually planting seeds and watching them grow So why would he give Marcus Stroman an offer knowing that this player is controllable until 2021, which we now know is really the window for when the next generation of Blue Jays will potentially show up and then the old generation will leave. So, Jason, help me understand why this organization or what this organization has done in the past to make you believe that they'll make Marcus Stroman a serious offer to stay.
3: Well, I believe in Mark Shapiro. I can't speak for Ricciardi or, or Alex Anthopoulos, but... You know, I, I think that what he's built in Cleveland and his track record of signing young ter- young guys to long term deals and trying to at least buy up the arbitration years, paying them a little mm-hmm. bit more now, so that you don't have to pay them twenty million in arbitration.
1: Sure.
3: With some team options, I, I I think they either need to they either need to do that, get serious with, with extending him or start shopping him because of the haul that they could get in it. And I know that they've come out and said that they want to be competitive, like a competitive, not so much rebuild, but they're going to compete while still rebuilding. I think you can't do that unless you have Stroman locked down.
2: Hmm.
3: And I don't think you can do that if you let Donaldson walk. I, I threw out 5-150 with Donaldson. I don't think he would take it. I think he wants that 10-year deal. I'm hoping that teams kind of smarten up after A. Rod and Pujols and 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 think that ten-year deals for guys in their 30s are are bad deals. But maybe maybe that's the going market or the going right now. Maybe they've wised up and and if he doesn't get that offer, then the Blue Jays can get him for you know the next five years into 37, 38. I don't think he would be that bad of a player at 38, but 41. he he's going to
0: be. He's going to be uh, experiencing a lot of competition that year, too, though. I mean, you've got Machado coming out at that point, yeah. and, and you've also got, um, yeah. of course, Bryce Harper. So I don't think he'd get more than, I think six would be the maximum he would get. He, he's, a, he's a unique player in the sense that he's coming to free agency late in his career as a late bloomer. Um, so I don't know if it would be five at 150 or six, maybe it would be six at 180 is my guess. It would be the maximum. I don't, I can't believe that someone would offer him 10 years, but, you know, uh, don't know, uh, underestimate stupidity. I guess.
2: Although I think that that teams now there aren't a lot of teams that are uh, that are run um, you know by sort of eccentric millionaires who want to throw money at them and and so you know the 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 Pujols contract or or, or a Prince Fielder contract you know I'm not sure that that those are necessarily going to be out there maybe except for Machado and and Harper. Uh, because th- those guys are young, and frankly, if there was a free agent who was 27, uh, yeah, for sure, I think that you try and, and get the extra years in. Um, uh, you know, understanding that the the last couple of years of any free agent deal are going to be uh, maybe uh, less than what you would hope, but you hope that you make up the value in the front end of that deal. Um, so, you know, at six years, uh, I think is probably what the minimum is going to be for Josh Donaldson, and and then it's just going to be a matter of whether if, if someone wants to get there. But we've seen the last couple of off-seasons how quickly the market drops off and how suddenly uh, players who you would have expected to get some sort of deal uh, are, are out there. And, you know, what happened with Batista last year, which was you know that he he was left out on the market uh, um, uh, uh, Edwin Encarnacion ended up taking uh less uh than he could have and probably far less than he thought he was going to get mm-hmm. um, you know there's probably uh, half of what he I, thought I he was going to get Yeah there yeah. teams are teams are, are smart and teams have their own plans and their own sort of succession uh of uh players and prospects that they have in mind and and you know uh, so I, I'm, I'm not. I, I have maybe some sort of sense that that 2018, uh, 2019 free agent class ends up being one where uh, there's going to be winners and losers, and uh, maybe the Blue Jays can uh, benefit from being a team that is able to step in and grab one of the people who can give them some some value, um, uh, even if they if they sort of get eaten up by the rest of the market.
1: And, of course, gentlemen, there's always the wild card of knowing that there might be a prospect or someone uh, organizationally that steps up and surprises. You know, we've been hearing a lot of names like Ryan Barucki and Danny Jansen and Anthony Alford. Who's to say that if one or two of these players can perform and, and start embarking on their major league career, it could make 2018 a very intriguing year to say the least. I'm going to put you on the spot, Marshall, because you are new to the show. Tell our listeners what you've been up to and how they can find you on social media.
0: Well, it's uh, normally not anything related to uh, baseball stuff. They can get a lot of my uh, th- things on, uh, uh, my, uh, on um LinkedIn, I have a lot of uh, stuff that I've written. Uh, they can also take the Le- Levy website, but again, it, nothing to do with sports. Uh, they can catch me on YouTube as well, uh, spouting off about mar- markets and stuff, although talking about the Blue Jays is much more fun than talking about uh, the-, the markets or Donald Trump for that matter, but um, but thanks for letting me put the plug in.
1: <laughs> hey, my pleasure, especially you being so candid about things. We We look forward to your humor um jason prospects 1500.com i love it i read your work all the time tell my audience what you've written lately and where they can find you
3: so uh my latest piece uh was analyzing boba shet's swing um having seen him a lot i've heard a lot of people criticize scouts included criticize the perceived bat rap so i gave i you know i wrote an article giving my two cents on it um And uh, it's good news for Blue Jays fans. I'm not concerned about it. Um, But in the article, I detail why I'm not concerned about it. And then I am flying out to Arizona next week for uh, the Arizona Fall League. I'll be at uh, six games in three days. I can't wait to see what Max Pentecost is doing because he's absolutely killing it. And uh, uh, Zeich Zeich as well. He also made the all-star team, getting to see some of these Atlanta Braves prospects and just guys that I don't get to see in the Florida State League. So I'm excited. So there will be a lot of updates, a lot of video, a lot of write-ups while I'm out there.
1: My friend, love the fact that you hustle and love your passion for the game. And, of course, uh, last but not least, Mr. Dow of Steve. Always love reading your work on Sportsnet. What have you been uh, writing about lately and where can uh, my listeners find you?
2: find me usually talking about my snack choices on twitter at dows Steve, and uh yeah uh it's funny because you you mentioned my weekly column at uh sportsnet and i was about to say what i wrote last week and i honestly forgot exactly what i've written over the last Mm -hmm. couple of weeks which i like to think of myself as a uh is a a bullpen ace or a closer who, you know, steps in and does his thing and then forgets about it for the next day. So uh, (laughs) something going up, something going up uh, on Friday of this week. And, uh, and I'll still be writing through the off season, Um, maybe even writing a hockey piece or two occasionally. Um, I know how, how much that's love to have a uh, blue Jay's writer writing about uh hockey, and uh I get the the best slash worst comments on those pieces um but uh yeah i I'm, i weirdly enough uh I'm actually kind of looking forward to this off season. I think this could be a really interesting and telling one uh going forward and and I think it's kind of an exciting time for. Uh, For the Blue Jays Uh, I think that there's some Great new stuff That's going to be happening soon
1: Well I'm just thrilled to know That you're now A two-sport
2: athlete And
1: it's always a pleasure Of course to have you Drop by Whether it's for baseball And now hockey Um, Believe you me I can relate Having broadcasts in, In both sports but, gents, this was really fantastic. I hope you all enjoyed yourself here on the Jay's Journal Podcast Roundtable. I look forward to having you back in the future, and we'll continue talking about all the exciting things, hopefully, exciting things that will take place during the Thanks again for joining the show.
0: Thanks, Ari.
2: Thanks for having me. Thanks, Ari. Ari. Thanks, guys.